Hello again, friends, and welcome to My Back 40. I'm your host, Steve O'Shaughnessy. I created this podcast to explore my curiosities, and as of late, they have been bikepack racing, endurance athletics, uh, health, training, nutrition, um, and mental health. And um, in the upcoming weeks, you're going to hear lots of conversations about cycling, but from time to time, I just want to make you guys ready for it. I'm going to kind of branch out and talk about something else, maybe. And um, yeah, I've got some some conversations coming up that I'm super excited about. So if you haven't yet, uh, please subscribe uh, to the podcast and you can listen to it on Apple Podcasts, on uh, Stitcher, it's on Spotify, and it's on Google Play. I'll put links to that on the website uh, when I get a moment, but uh, you can go ahead and head on over to those uh, platforms and you can search for the podcast and uh, subscribe. And uh, it'd also be great if uh, you would also rate and review and share this podcast with your friends. Spread the word, spread the love about My Back 40, and uh, I'm really looking forward to keeping this thing going and growing. So again, spread the word. And um, I did get some reviews on Apple Podcasts, and uh, I'm grateful for them. They're kind of flattering, actually. Um, Bikes and brains, I don't know about that. Um, I don't think I'm the sharpest tool in the shed a lot of the times, but, uh, I have my moments, I suppose. And, um, for the comment on my smooth and silky voice, I appreciate it. I really do. This is just my voice. I'm not really doing anything to, uh, alter it. I don't think sometimes when you get in front of a microphone, uh, you tend to, uh, maybe, uh, embellish things a little bit, sound a bit more radio-like if that's your bag. Uh, but I can't, I can't continue that. That's yeah. I'm just gonna kind of just do me and uh, I'm glad you guys enjoy it and yeah so thanks again for the for the five-star ratings and the reviews and uh, I'm looking forward to bringing you more conversations uh, in the upcoming weeks I wanted to talk to you guys a bit so today is excuse me today is uh, Saturday March 14th and uh, it's been a crazy couple weeks with the the COVID-19 virus and um, I guess I wanted to start by saying first I hope all of you out there in podcast land are healthy and um, your families and your loved ones are staying healthy. Um, I don't think this is a time for complacency. Um, I've listened to, I don't know, maybe four to six hours of scientists talking on podcasts about kind of what we're dealing with here. And uh, it is kind of a big deal. Now, that's not to say that we should go out and buy up all the toilet paper at our local grocery store, because that's crazy. And I don't really understand that. Um, I guess I do in a way, but um, kind of would seem like the lowest priority thing to be buying at the grocery store at this point. But um, I don't think uh, you need to panic. And there's certainly no room to be complacent. Uh, I think that it's important to heed the advice coming from whatever country you live in and their health organization, whether it be you know, isolating oneself or uh, trying to work from home, um, you know, making sure you're keeping distance from from other people. And uh, I think it would be considered rude. I heard this on a podcast the other day that it would be considered rude to go up to someone and shake their hand at this point in time. So uh, uh, yeah, maybe the best thing at this point would be bumping elbows, maybe. Or uh, I saw an interesting um, uh, post online with the uh, this Italian grandmother saying how we should navigate it. And she's like, you know what? Just keep your hands in your pockets and just wink. We'll just wink at each other. That's probably the safest thing we can do right now is keep our distance and wink. But, uh, you know, to be serious, um, a couple of scientists have said that this is, this is the worst thing they've seen in a long time. So 
I just hope that everyone's, you know, staying healthy. Maybe the best place to be is in the woods on your bike, actually, as far as, far away from anybody else as possible. <laughs> so I don't think uh, it's going to interrupt our training too much or our joy of cycling. But I just wanted to comment on it and, and just, uh, yeah, be safe out there, people. Uh, be clean. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Um, I want to see you guys around for a long time. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're going through something. And you know what else? Back to the toilet paper thing. Let's help each other. Instead of going to the grocery store and buying everything up off the shelf, let's think about each other and let's think about our neighbors um, because nothing brings a planet together like a pandemic. That's for sure. And uh, I think that um, we should be a bit more sensitive uh, about uh, the way we're behaving in our society and uh, we should be gracious to one another and just know that some people are going to be fucking freaking out about this and um, they're, you know, deservedly so. It's kind of a big deal. Um, in, in our household, we're just keeping it kind of mellow. We've been stocking up on the groceries for a while, so we've got lots of good food. Um, if we had to quarantine ourselves for a couple of weeks, I think we'd be okay. Um, but yeah, now's the time to plan. Don't panic and don't be complacent. Just use common sense and, uh, just stay healthy out there, everybody. Okay. Uh, I love you guys and I want you guys to be around for a long time. So, uh, let's stick, stick together and we'll get through this. All right. So before we get to Jenny tough, I wanted to share something that Ryan Draper sent me and it's about bike fit. So listen up people. Hey, my back 40 listeners. This is Ryan from cycling 101 in Canmore, Alberta. I wanted to have a quick conversation today just about bike fitting and why it's so important for bike fits to be performed on bikepacking bikes. Some of the pitfalls with bikepacking bikes is that there really is no parameter. So if you think about a road bike or a hardtail mountain bike or dual suspension mountain bike, there are some pretty common parameters that we need to address, like tire pressure, suspension setup, um, rise of the bar, that type of thing. But in bike packing, there are really no rules. There's gravel bikes that are used for bike packing, uh, road bikes. There's some uh, bikes are drop bar, flat bar. Some are really long and stretched out. Some are short and nimble. Uh, wheel size and tire uh, width vary tremendously. Uh, in the bikepacking world, we seem to, or we tend to see a lot of people taking older bikes from the garage, uh, or shed and converting them into bikepacking bikes. So a lot of these bikes might be older, might not have, um, you know, the most modern technology. So I really feel that it's super important to address, um, uh, bikepacking, uh, bike fits, uh, because of that. Uh, secondarily, the other thing is that the bikes are always going to be loaded up on these adventures. So a, a bike fit that might be done, you know, in an environment where, uh, the, the, the bags, the panniers, the, 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 the um, front roll bag might be, uh, empty or removed, uh, doesn't necessarily give us, uh, the, the perfect fit. I really recommend that people uh, load up the bike with uh, kind of the maximum amount of cargo that they would have for their longest or biggest trip and have a bike fit uh, performed on a trail with varying terrain, um, you know, to kind of maximize uh, what the body will need to do and how the body will need to move around on the bike to accommodate that load. Most of the time when we're looking at bike fits uh, on trail, we are looking at everything from tire pressure right through to cleat placement. We're looking at all the contact points like the hands, the butt, 
the feet. Uh, all of those things are super important. And we're trying to put the rider in what we would consider to be the most comfortable position, first and foremost, uh, the most powerful position, and the most efficient position. Aerodynamics um, and aesthetics tend to fall really far to the, the bottom of the totem pole when uh, we're, we're conducting these type of, of fits and setups. Uh, all the fits and setups can be uh, really variable because when we look at front suspension or we look at dual suspension on bike packing bikes, that can really um, be something that, that has to be upkept uh, on a, a trip by trip basis, just because the uh, load of a handlebar bag or uh, load of a seat bag and frame bag may affect uh, or will affect the uh, the suspension of the bike, the rebound uh, and, and the compression, as well as the overall handling. So super important, um, you know, to, to have these bikes fit, to have, um, you know, optimum, like I was mentioning, comfort, efficiency and power. It's kind of where we uh, focus the majority of our attention. Uh, if you have any questions to do with uh, on-trail bike fitting and uh, you, you have uh, you know some time to fire me an email, you can fire me an email, ryan.cycling101 at gmail.com, and I'll be sure to, uh, to get back to you. I can also uh, have a look at uh, videos. So if you have a side profile video on uh, either a trainer or riding outside, as well as a short video from the front and from the back, uh, there are ways that we can, uh, you know, help you out, uh, even from a distance. Uh, some of the things that uh, that we pick up on are, uh, are pretty universal, but um, yeah, uh, not necessarily 100% uh, perfect. So yeah, if you have any questions, please let us know and we'd love to address them. Thanks, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. So there you have it, the importance of bike fit. Thanks, Ryan. Um, and if you need a bike fit, you can reach out to Cycling 101 and use the discount code 101VIP20 to save 20% off that bike fit or a consultation. 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the things that you didn't do than by the ones you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, dream, discover. That's a quote by Mark Twain that I pulled off of Jenny Tuff's website, jennytuff.com. And I feel like it pretty much encapsulates what this badass woman is all about. She's about adventure, pushing your limits in the mountains. And uh, I thought I would round out the uh, string of Atlas Mountain Race podcasts I've been putting out with, uh, with this lovely woman. Uh, I had such a great time talking with Jenny, and I really appreciated her vulnerability. Um, we talked about a lot of different topics, not, not just the race, but we talked about self-esteem, uh, gender issues in sport. And of course we did talk about the Atlas mountain race and her experience on that track, which sounded like just crazy adventure for a lot of different people out there. So I can't wait to share this story with you. And without further delay, I bring you Jenny Tuff. Hey, Hey Jenny, how's it going? All right. How are you? Uh, very well. Sorry, I've, I'm not too familiar with with WhatsApp. My sister was using it. Oh, at, nice. Probably for the same reasons because she was traveling and. Um, yeah, it's really good if you're if you're traveling and you're always with people on different time or different um, area codes. Yeah. No, that's yeah, that's awesome. Thank, thanks for your patience. No worries. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I hear you great. I you're pumped through my audio recorder, so you sound fantastic. Can you hear me okay? Oh, okay. Yeah, you're a little bit choppy, so I just wasn't sure if it was my Wi-Fi or what was going on. Oh, it could be oh, all the okay. all the noise of the kids from upstairs pounding around. 
<laughs> How many kids have you got? Two. Two. Yeah, it's uh-huh. uh, yeah. The Sloan's birthday was just yesterday, so they're uh, nice. We've got a crap ton of toys to to play with. So I was like, Daddy's going downstairs. I'm gonna have a conversation. So just be quiet, <laughs> watch TV or something. So uh, don't care. Got new toys. Oh, you know what? The last one I did with um, uh, I, I talked to Sofiane uh, uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, and the kids came into that one. And then I was talking to RJ, <laughs> RJ last week, and and then uh, his 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 boy Oliver came into the scene, and it's pretty fun. I usually Aww. I usually leave it in actually because it's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah, it's fun. So how you doing? Yeah, good. Yeah, good. Uh, yeah, back in Scotland. Is that know. is that where you're living full time right now? Yeah, yeah, I've been here for about seven years now, actually. Oh, amazing! Which is about crazy. Why Scotland? Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Uh, so it looks dad- like an amazing country. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, uh, so my dad's from here, so um, I've always been a dual citizen, which is handy. Um, nice. and I just kind of, it's actually, it's weird. When I was actually bike touring, um, I wanted to cycle around the Mediterranean, so I left left Canada on a one way ticket to cycle around the Mediterranean. And then that was the year the Arab Spring started. So I was in Turkey when that started kicking off with Uh. like the protests in Cairo and all that. Um, And then Canadians couldn't get visas and then Brits couldn't get visas and then all the borders shut, like, you know, everything started happening. So I was just kind of stuck Um, and I didn't know what to do. So I just got, there was a 27 euro flight to Edinburgh. So I thought, I'll just fly to Edinburgh and I'll stay with my cousins for a couple of weeks while this whole protest in Cairo goes on. So, um, yeah, I just literally cycled from Edinburgh Airport to my cousin's house on my big fat touring bike and, and knocked on the door and said, I'm Murray's daughter. Can I stay here for a week or so? <laughs> and that was seven years ago. I have moved out of my cousin's house, just to be clear. You know. But, um, yeah. So it wasn't planned. It was just a random... So technically, I'm just on pause on a bike tour. <laughs> right. How long have you been traveling? Like, do you... Uh, at the do time, you... I'd been... Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Uh, at the time, I'd been away from home for about eight months, just kind of, you know, doing the dirt back bike tour thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now I'm, I'm pretty... S- I wouldn't use the word settled when it comes to my life, but <laughs> I've been in Scotland. Scotland has been my permanent residency for the last seven years oh what a lovely place to to settle down put some well not settle down but put some put a couple roots in the ground it's nice nice. it's nice if you travel a lot because it's quite central like you know you know from home it's just every time if you want to go somewhere you have to get a long haul flight and it's going to cost you so much whereas here obviously i can be like you know the flight to morocco to do that race was a three-hour flight and cost me i think 50 bucks that's crazy you know, like, yeah, I can be in Africa in a few hours. I can be anywhere in Europe in a couple hours. Um, I miss home for sure. But um, that's I think that's the biggest thing that every time I think, screw this Brexit nation. I don't want to be part of it. I'm going to go back to Canada where everyone's nice. And then I go, oh, then the only place I'll be able to get, like the only border I'd be able to cross would be like America. I don't want to go there. And like. You know, then I just feel so like, like, obviously, there's a lot to do in BC, and I could be happy for quite a while just seeing, just getting to know BC again. But, um, but yeah, I just think I would, I'd feel so trapped and so far away from everything else. That's an, it sounds, it sounds horrible. No, it doesn't sound horrible, especially if you, if you're a traveler, like it sounds like you are, um, you know, to, to go anywhere in Canada, like 
you know, for me to fly the family to to Ontario to see grandma and grandpa, that that'd be like four grand, right? Like by the yeah, time you exactly. actually it would just it would just it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. Yeah. So um yeah, yeah I totally get it. And I and I, uh, I I've thought about that for some of the people like when you look at the uh, the lineup of athletes who who are at the Atlas Mountain Race it's just like they're they're basically from all over that massive you know Asian content or uh, continent right they're just they just yeah. you know drop a hundred bucks and they can they can fly to Morocco and do a race and uh, yeah, yeah it's exactly amazing. the freedom of that is great yeah it is really cool yeah so I'm not really I'm not done with it yet you know awesome so uh, yeah. so where where's home in Canada for you uh, so. We don't really have a hometown, so to speak. So I was born in Calgary. Uh, my mom's from Newfoundland. My dad's from Scotland. Um, I was born in Calgary. Uh, then most of us moved west. So my folks are in Victoria now. So yeah. I, would cons- if I say going home, the place that I mean is Victoria, even though I've never permanently lived there. Um, we're kind of dotted all over. Our sisters in Ontario. Um, obviously, lots of family in Newfoundland. Yeah. There's- well, you've got a bed everywhere. No one's actually left in Alberta, actually. So we've done well. We got out of Alberta. <laughs> yeah, man. That's there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in Alberta right now with uh, oil yeah. sands and closing parks, yeah. like closing a bunch of parks now. Oh. It's it's crazy. I don't know if you saw that post on Facebook, but some of my friends were, please sign this petition, and the premier's closing like I don't know, 160 or 140, 160 parks. It's crazy. How do we go backwards like that? I just. I've never identified with that place. And that's why when people ask me where I'm from, I always just say Canada and hope that they won't probe any further. Because I just can't identify with Calgary. Like, you know, there's a reason I didn't stay. Like, I don't think there's any guarantee that you're born in the place that you belong. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I totally get what you mean. Yeah. So, yeah, I always, I hate when I have to be identified as Calgary. Because I'm like, you know, there's, there's great things. I mean, you're right next to the Rocky Mountains. And that obviously made me who I am. But at the same time, like, don't tar me with that brush. <laughs> yeah, have have you ever been to Invermere, where we're ta- where I'm talking to you from? I've been through. Right. Yeah, I'm there's not, not really spent a lot of good time there. Yeah, there's not a whole lot here. Uh, I mean, it's not it's a very small city or town. It's like uh, yeah, you know, under four thousand people probably. But the mountain biking is pretty epic here. There's great riding here. Have you always been there, or did you move there for the riding? Uh, no, I actually moved here from Squamish. So. Um, oh, cool! Yeah, I moved wow. away from some pretty epic riding actually to be here. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think anyone ever left Squamish. I oh. thought you only went one way. Matt, well, there's no going back because you know I had a house there, and and with the way that place, uh, the, the way the re- real estate works there, it works there now. It's the house I bought for three hundred grand is probably worth like seven hundred fifty right now. Like it's yeah, I'll bet. yeah. There's no going back, but. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'll be ripping around on trails here and, and run into folks and, Hey, where are you from? And I know where they're from. They're probably from Alberta. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and when they answer that question, it's like, uh, yeah, I'm from, uh, Calgary. They're just, they're very, yeah. and I asked a couple once, it's like, how come every time I ask people where they're from and they happen to be from Calgary, Alberta, they're always very sheepish about telling me that. And it's, it's all about oil and gas because they think everyone hates them. And it's not yeah. like, it's not like, you know, it's a contentious subject right oil and gas is Uh contentious and it's like yeah but you know unfortunately we we still need fossil fuels and we still need the people working there to 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 navigate that train for us and and get us those resources now i mean hopefully it's changing right but uh so when when you said you were kind of sheepish about telling people totally reminded me of that and it's it's really interesting yeah that people 
You know, I was on, do you know the transatlantic way bike race? No, tell me about it though. Uh, it's, oh, it's a really lovely race. Um, (laughs) so it's a fixed route road race around Ireland. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's a really lovely route. It takes, I think you get 10 days to do it, but it doesn't take that long. Nice. Um, but there was one other Canadian on the race. Um, and he and I were riding together. Like we just ended up being perfectly matched. You know how you end up having a shadow in races, like someone that you just can't get rid of. They're always at your exact pace. Um, so it was, so it was, it was cool that the only other Canadian was my pace. Perfect. Um, and he and I talk, you know, you get into these like really long, deep discussions and we had so many that were just like, it was weird how much we had in common. Um, we ended up finding out we were born the same year that our sisters actually knew each other at school. And what? Blah, blah, blah. That's like, crazy. We, we had so many things. We were just like, Oh my God, you're like the male version of me. But it took us three days of this before either of us asked the question, where are you actually from? Cause we yeah. both just said Canadian and left it at that. And then like one day it was finally like, you know what? I can't figure it out from his accent or something like that. I was like, like, what city did you grow up in? He goes, oh, born in Calgary. And I was like, I feel you, brother. <laughs> like, oh, that's so interesting. And it turned out we grew up like five minutes away from each other. And then and we went to the same summer camp and all these things. And we both moved to the UK because neither of us wanted to live in Calgary. It was like mind blowing how similar we were. It was like the Matrix was broken on that bike ride that the person who I finished closest to, like we finished within 20 minutes of each other, I think. Um, he was like literally the male version of me. It was so funny. That is funny. And for for those of you in Calgary who are listening to this podcast, we love you. We love you so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> but memory. it's no, but it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, conversation to have about uh, kind of where you're you're you originate from, right? And I think that's why I moved yeah. west because I grew up in Ontario near Ottawa, like uh, Deep River, Ontario, tiny little town in Ontario, and okay. uh, and. Um, when I got old enough, I remember going to a snowboard camp in Whistler, the camp of champions. And I knew when I came back, it's like, I got to go back to Whistler, man. It's just the mountains yeah. call you for certain people. You get there and it's like, okay. I got to go to the mountains. It's just so beautiful. And that's kind of when I started mountain biking, like a lot okay. more seriously. It was, was when I arrived there. And yeah. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, you can't always call home where you're born. You know, it's not necessarily true. And, and now no one's in yeah. Deep River, so there's no reason for me to really go back there. All right, yeah. Yeah, same for me in Calgary. But no, I, I get what you mean. I mean, the city and the province, maybe not so much, but the mountains. Like, the only thing I do really get homesick for is the Rocky Mountains. Yeah. And that was kind of how I made my life the way that it is, is that I've always found that mountains give me that sense of home where, like, you know, we didn't have, we don't have a hometown. We don't have the big family home that's been in the family for generations. We don't have any of that. We've all moved around quite a lot. Yeah. Um, but I found that sense that people talk about when they talk about the sense of home, I do get from the mountains. Right. So, and it doesn't have to be the Rockies. It was something that I realized when I started traveling that I could feel like I was at home. Like I remember one day I was on this big hike and I just, I really convinced myself I was about to turn the corner and I'll be in Banff any second. Like I'd even decided what, sandwich I was going to get from my favorite cafe I was like oh sweet I'm probably like two hours out of Banff like I'm gonna get get to the cafe and get that blah 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 and then like it took me a long time to remember that I was actually in Kyrgyzstan but I just had this like sense of home that the mountains give me so that is definitely one thing that about the Rockies that that is like I carry with me everywhere I go yeah it's like an energy thing like mountains have yeah a that's energy, exactly right? it it sounds it sounds woo woo right but it's 
there's yeah. some, there's something to be said for the for the energy you feel when you're no you totally described it right that yeah. is exactly what it is a vibe i guess and even and uh. even the people right like if you go from from a big city you know in the plains of canada and then you go into like a small town like say invermere or golden or revelstoke in the mountains and the vibe there is just it's just different it's just this totally oh i love a mountain vibe. town yeah so um, when was uh, your introduction to athletics and endurance sports? How did that all kind of, what was the catalyst for all of that? Uh, you know, it, it kind of came from a pretty negative start. When I was a teenager, I just um, just really hated my body, basically. And, and I needed, um, so I started running with my golden retriever around the suburb of Calgary. Um, and it was just a form of punishment. I just did it as a punishment for eating. So it, it was a really negative headspace. Um, and I hated doing it and I resented all my friends that didn't have to go running and all that. But um, the more I did it, I found that the days I went for a run were good days. Like after, if I started with the morning run, then that day I could study really well and be really creative and, and had higher self-esteem. And so I stopped, I just slowly over, over a period of genuinely years, stopped resenting it so much and started really enjoying it. Um, and as I started, once I grew up and started traveling, that was a way that I started to explore anywhere that I went. I would just go out for a run and be like, oh, I wonder what's down that trail. And I would get to see new places. Um, and that naturally does evolve into cycling because then you realize you can go further and faster on a bicycle. Um, so that was, that was where it came from. It came from a really negative place and then it evolved into a place of adventure. Uh, and then it was a lot longer before I started really pushing it and ending up in these bike packing races. Cause I always looked at that as something that was just so far beyond my level. Like that's for athletes, not for people like me. Um, but I would go on these bike tours or whatever trip I would go on and I would just really get a kick out of pushing myself. And I would, you know, it's not like I was doing mileage that would even have a lick on the people that do bike packing races, but, but I just found that really exciting that I could combine my love of adventure and travel and also, really challenged myself physically and arrive at my campsite at the end of the day completely hooped um, and I really enjoyed that and then I started hearing about these bike I think it was the tour divide that I heard of first and the transcontinental and started realizing there's this world of people who bike tour at an insane rate and um and just thought I would try it so it, it took a long time uh, and I still wouldn't go as far as classing myself as an athlete or even a cyclist like I'm still pretty shy about those words but um but yeah, that, that was basically my my transition from really low self-esteem to uh, something that gives me adventure and gives me quite a lot of confidence and something I really enjoy doing. I think it's something probably a lot of kids struggle with uh, growing up through adolescence is the way their bodies are changing. and. Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, fighting against genetics every day of my life. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think I was starting to get that way and none of my classmates were. And so, mm. um, yeah, so I, I did find it really hard. And I also think that, um, I don't know if this is just with kids or if this is with everyone in the world. The way that we approach health and fitness is very much a you need to fix yourself. You need to, mm. there's something wrong with your body. You need to make it better. We don't talk about fun. Like, you know, kids play sports. Adults don't play. You go to work out. It's work. Um, and I think that if the approach had been different when I was a teenager, maybe my relationship with um enjoying bikes and stuff would have just come along a lot quicker if there had been more of an attitude of this is fun and this is something that's going to bring you a lot of joy and bring you adventure rather than just fix your body go be better um this is punishment kind of attitude 
Yeah, I think there's so many layers to that too, because it's just, you know, your your environment, you're a product of your environment, right? So depending uh -huh. on, you know, what your family's into, like um, my dad was always very active and I wasn't, I, I just wasn't, I just wasn't, I, I was super ambivalent about doing stuff. And, yeah, um, yeah. and you know, and I started skateboarding and, and, and I, I rode some bikes and stuff, but um, I can relate to that a little bit. And it, it's hard because I think another layer of that is, oh, I want to start to run or I want to start to, to ride a, ride a bike to take better care of myself. But it's so friggin' hard, right? When you start yeah. and you're out of shape. And you go to do it, yeah. And, and it's I think there's some embarrassment because you're you, now not not only your is your body not good enough in your lens, but now mm -hmm. your your athletic skills aren't good enough in that same lens. You see everyone else being able to go out for bike rides and stuff, and and just just crush all their all their fun times out there. And you're just it's a struggle for you, but you have to realize that just keep doing it every day, and every day is going to get a, a bit easier and easier and easier and f more fun. And, and uh, it's hard. It's so hard as as a kid. I think kids have it really tough, you know, especially with all the, you know, a lot of a lot of the bullying and now bullying online and and uh, yeah. self esteem. So like I'm 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 really worried about that with my kids. It's just trying to give them the mm -hmm. confidence and the self esteem that so like, you can do whatever you want. Like it doesn't matter what that person says. Like forget that guy or girl. Just like do it. Just do whatever you want to do. <clears throat> and you'll get yeah, better. Yeah, I think I can tell like teenage me. It would be like get to the finish of something like the confidence boost that I first got when I first started, like, I think the first race I signed up for was a 10 K run in Calgary. And like, I was in tears at the end. I couldn't believe <laughs> that I had run 10 kilometers. And now of course I just, anyone looks at 10 kilometers is like, Oh, are you just like your lunch break bimble kind of thing? Yeah. But, you know, back then that was, that was mega. Cause I'd never done anything physically that gave me self-confidence when I, anything that had to do with my body and my physical abilities was something that was very bad for my self-esteem. That was the first time that it had been a good thing. And so that's what I wish kids and teenagers can really could really get to. Like you just have to get to the finish line. You have to um, you know, get on that bike and get around the trail or whatever it is that that you're really intimidated by. And once you get there, there's a huge confidence boost that's gonna give you enough confidence to go into the next challenge and keep going and and make this something that's actually a sustainable part of your life. I talked to another um a guest on a podcast it was Matt Bain. He's a sports psychologist. And you had said something oh, yeah. a little bit earlier about, um, uh, if you want to check it out, it's, it's a bike pack Canada podcast with Matt Bain. I can't remember what. Matt Bain. Yeah. We're going to talk again right. on, on, um, on my back 40. I'm going to get him on. I think we're going to talk about connectedness and, uh, some other kind of motivation kind of topics. But he said, one of the cool. things with motivation is mastery, right? Is, is like, okay starting something and then working towards mastering that thing. And then that motivates and gives you self-esteem. So you, you had mentioned that, like just, you know, diving into something, you know, trying to get good at it and, and then, and then evolving from there. Right. Like you did your first 10 K and it's like, oh, I freaking did it, man. Like I can do this. I can do this 10 K and then I'm going to go do a, a half marathon or a, or a marathon next or, or a, tri a triathlon or something like that. So that's exactly the order of what happened to me. Oh, afterwards. Yeah. Well, it just seems like a natural progression, right? It's like run, run yeah, a bit further. Is. And then, yeah, the swimming yeah. part of tries. Did you, um, do you listen to podcasts? Yeah, I do. Do you listen to Rich Roll? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I haven't he, listened he, in a while. Oh, well he had a woman on her name's Mel. Uh, I'm going to get her last name wrong. Mel Yuri. Uh, U R I E, mm -hmm. I think, and she is the first woman to finish the Uberman, which is like uh, 
It's a twenty a twenty one mile swim. No. Yeah. That's way too much. I know, right? <laughs> a twenty one mile swim and then it was like a four three or four hundred mile ride and then like a hundred and fifty mile run or a hundred and thirty mile run or something. And uh I can't remember how long it took her, but it's such, you have to listen to it because it's, it's so motivational because, you know, yeah, she just started doing it as well. And and her motivation is more like pushing limits and, and testing Mm -hmm. self-experimentation and, and yeah, listen to that one. It's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Look it up. 20 miles though. Like when I think of triathlons, like run or or, sorry, running's hard enough. Like, (laughs) you know, and then, but swimming, like I swim with the kids at this pool and, and you know, I, I grew up, I, I was a competitive swimmer when I was a kid, but, oh, cool. but swimming is hard. It's really hard if you've been out of it for it's really a long hard. time. Outdoor swimming when you're in a, especially yeah. in a race where you've got everyone kicking their feet in your face. It's a totally different ball game. Yeah. And then apparently, I'm impressed. yeah. And then she's in salt water too, right? So she gets out of the salt water, her yeah. mouth, her mouth is wrecked, right? From salt oh, water. Yeah. And then you got to eat. Like you can't. Yeah. Food. Yeah. So she's, she can't touch the boat. So uh, there's a, you know, a boat following her. So she can't touch this boat. So uh, they have to basically hand her food. Uh, Right. And I think she, she drank a lot of liquids. I think liquid kind of energy. And then, um, but yeah, I think she was in the water for 11 hours, 11 and a half hours. Wowie. So that's your next goal, right? The Uber man. Yeah, I'm so inspired. <laughs> they should that's call so it, cool. I think they should call it the Uber people, but we can get into that. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> well, that's awesome. So. So um, what was your next step? So you ran a 10K and then did you go into yeah. the uh, half and then full marathon? Then I went to the half marathon. Then I went straight into the marathon and did the triathlon. Like a lot. Yeah. Just kind of went through the steps. Um, and then you start to wonder, like, what else could I do? And I think um, I was really in the game of like, you know, you just sign up for these things. That's what's available to you. They're on the road. There's a course. You follow the course. You're finished. Um, but then I started to get a little bit more creative. Like, what if I designed something that that I want to do? Maybe no one else is doing it. Maybe no one else has ever done it. Um, and started to create my own, yeah, create my own challenges. And I fast forward, um, I want to say seven years after I did my first marathon, I decided to run across Kyrgyzstan. And that was, that was obviously a big leap. Like, it was a world first. No one had ever in recorded history at least crossed Kyrgyzstan on foot man or woman walking running like it hadn't been done there wasn't a trail um so then I got to combine the other things that really excited me like navigation Mm. and outdoor survival and mountains and you know and then running just running kind of fell into the background as like running was just a part of my life it was just a main pillar in my life it's something I would do every day um I think it's funny with with anything, like with the expedition running I do, with the bikepacking races, people are always just impressed by the numbers. They want to know how far you cycled or ran or something mm. like that. And I just always say that was the easy part. Like, I always run and cycle. I love doing that. It, you know, it's it's really, it's the easiest thing in the world. You just right, left, right, left, keep going. Um, but it's the other stuff that you have to sort out. That's that's the challenge. And that's stuff that really excites me. The adventure, the expedition, the keeping yourself alive, keeping yourself moving, finding enough fuel, finding enough water. Um, so that was, that was the area that I then moved into that, you know, I don't think about running as something that's numbers. I don't think about the number of calories I need to burn anymore. I don't think about the pace that I run or how far I need to go today. Like, I just think, well, I want to get over there. How am I going to get there? And that's, that's how I look at a run now. 
I spoke with uh, Evan Dutch. Um, sorry, that's wrong. Evan Deutsch about that, and uh, he had said it's it's kind of the same thing. It's like a puzzle, right? You've got this puzzle yeah. to figure out, and and the the mechanics of of completing the puzzle are just kind of you know the the kind of unchanging variable, but it's all the other stuff: the weather and the food and the shelter and the it's all the other stuff you have to figure out. That's interesting. I think that makes it fun for a lot of people, like just that whole puzzle of of navigation and and movement through across terrain. Yeah, like if I wanted to see how long it would take me to cycle, I mean, how far was the Atlas race? 11.50. If I wanted to see how long it would take me to cycle 11.50, I would just set up my turbo trainer in the living room and I would do it under controlled conditions. Right. Like, you know, that isn't that wasn't the point of the challenge that we signed up for. We wanted to test ourselves against an environment, a culture, a terrain, the conditions, you know, all that stuff. That was what, that's what makes it exciting. Yeah. Bikes are just fun. <laughs> yeah, they are. And you know, that's the other thing too is, is, um, the whole side of like bikes being work or bikes being fun. Like when you try to do it, bikes are super mm. fun. It's like, I feel like more like a kid when I'm ripping around yeah. on my bike than ever. Hang on. I got I have a visitor here. Hey, Jasper. <laughs> good news. What's the good news, buddy? We gave someone's toy a bit of dirt. Okay. Like we had to. Are you making a big mess up there? No. I just like, we went outside. I scooped <clears> some <throat> dirt out of the trash can with mitts on. Oh, are you kidding me? Okay. And then I dumped it in her pot. Okay. And okay, buddy. Now, and <laughs> Sorry. Gonna, and we're gonna get a bit. All good. Okay. Hey, um, Jasper, can you um, you guys are playing really nicely. Give me some knuckles for that. Thanks, buddy. And um, I'm gonna be a little bit okay. Okay. I love you. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Jasper's so? a great name. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. There's now there's a bunch of kids named Jasper. It's kind of the way it always works, right? It's like you think you have a unique name, yeah, and then yeah. everyone picks it. <laughs> <laughs> and then my daughter's Sloan, S L O A N. So, uh, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, so she's a she's a Spitfire man. She's gonna be a handful. She wants to go bike packing with Daddy this summer. Yeah, so I'll say okay, I gotta convince Mom. You know, we're gonna sleep under the tarp and I'm gonna sleep out in the woods. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so we'll see how that goes. Um, sorry for the interruption. Where, oh, good. Where were we? We're talking about the Kyrgyzstan run, and then yeah, uh, bikes are fun. Yeah, bikes are fun. Yeah, I, I, I uh, single speed on trail all the time around here, and uh, oh, bonkers. It's like it's like riding a BMX bike through the woods. I just nothing makes me feel more alive than than just just ripping through the woods on a on a simple bike like that. It's so much fun, and yeah, uh, I always so awesome. co- always come back in a better mood, right? Just like when you started running as a oh, kid. Yeah. It's like you come back. It's like oh, I feel fantastic right yeah yeah you don't you don't regret going out no not at all but you never get home and go i wish i hadn't done that that's never gonna happen yeah and those times where you really feel like you don't want to do anything it's like oh i don't really want you just the motivation thing right now i'm not really feeling it but if you just go if you just take the steps to go and and do even step outside or even put your shoes on then yeah if you can get your shoes on then you're gonna go for a ride so (laughs) yeah and i always do that with myself i tell myself like, so I, I live really close to a trail center. So I always say, like, I'll just do the bottom half of the red route because that literally will take me 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. So I just tell myself, I'm just going to do that 20 minutes. And then it's like, at least I did something. And of course, by the time that I even get to the base of the red route, I'm like, yeah, of course, we're going to we're going to go for a real ride. Yeah, and two hours later. You know, every now and then I do the 20 minutes and I come home and I just go whatever. I was tired. But like, at least I did 20 minutes. But, you know, if I just make that commitment to myself, say, like, 
you know, you can't argue with 20 minutes. Just get off your ass and go outside. Yeah. Or you know what? Um, I learned this from, from my buddy Ryan Draper, who's a coach. He said, if you don't want to go out riding, if you don't want to actually go outside and do something, do some uh, mobility and movement stuff at home. Like oh, yeah, do, do a bit of yoga or do some squats or just, just move. At least if you're moving, then you're going to feel better. So that's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's so essential, isn't it? Like yeah. once you really make it a habit, I mean, I think that was the transition from that teenager self of me that just hated it. Well, if you finally make it a habit, that's something that you do every day and you've done it every day for so long, you kind of can't not do it. You know, you feel miserable until you've had like on a really busy day. If I can't squeeze in some sort of exercise, it's going to be miserable until I find at least 20 minutes for me to do some yoga or something like that. Um, like it really becomes a, an addictive habit in a way, which is a good addiction, I think. Um, but you just, you need movement in your life. Yeah, maybe maybe a, an uh, addiction is is too strong a word. It's more like like what you said. It's just like a habit. It it's like yeah. cy- cycling or f- whatever your main activity is, running or cycling. Is, for me, cycling is just like eating, drinking, you know, sleep yeah. cycle. It's just part of the. It's just it, like I don't do it with any um, training intention. It's just like oh, I need to go out and go for a ride. It's just what it is. I need to go. And you're right. Yeah, I think- I'm the same. I always get asked about my training, and I'm like, what's training i don't have it so you don't for for you know you're fairly accomplished you've done a lot of different things you don't don't have a coach that um guides you through that stuff no and maybe i should uh no i think for one on one hand i do a lot of stuff in a year so my schedule is pretty you know like i just did the atlas race and then in a couple months i'm going to do an expedition run and then i'm going to do the torino knee strap so it's like i always have stuff on the go um so it's kind of hard for me to have any structure Mm. to the weeks and the months um but no and I also I think because I came from a point of adventure rather than athletic accomplishments like I'm not out there to to win the races and maybe I should reframe that a bit and think about it one day but at the moment I am out there for the adventure and the challenge so you know it's it's really not about the sport and the athletic achievement it's it's more about the experience and the expedition and the and the accomplishing the challenge. Yeah, it's so individual, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So where's this expedition run? What are you doing? I'm going to run across the Caucasus Mountains. Um, so starting in Abkhazia, Georgia, and finishing Azerbaijan. Wow, that's crazy. How far is that? Uh so I have to add in a bit of distance because there's a few difficult areas in those mountains, like um, Chechnya and South Ossetia and places that um, ideally I shouldn't go because the government does officially say don't go. Mm. So, you know, you shouldn't. Um, so I might have to add in a lot of distance to get around these little red zones. So I, at the moment, I just keep on saying it's about, about a thousand kilometers and that could oh. be... Plus or, plus or minus a few hundred. Oh my god! Yeah, so it's gonna hurt. Yeah, I'm I'm like literally shaking in my boots right now, scared of this is really gonna, this one's really gonna hurt. It'll be uh, good, but it's gonna be amazing. Like I'm, I, yeah, I can't wait to see those mountains, and yeah. um, I've heard nothing but good things about the people that live in them and the hospitality, and yeah, I'm I'm super stoked, terrified and stoked on equal levels. Um, now are you doing that self supported, or do you have a crew that kind of meets yeah. you? Nope, solo unsupported. Oh, that's amazing. Um, I don't even know how to speak to that. That that's just <laughs> you know <laughs> I've heard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm shaking in my boots. What the heck? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, uh, 
you know, I've heard different um, stories about about people saying, oh, you know, they did the self-supported, but they did have a crew with them. So, you yeah. know, so they get to, you know, mm. sleep in an RV or, you know, they have food yeah. in the fridge in the RV and liquids and, you know, an extra bike if that bike gets, you know, yeah. too uncomfortable, <laughs> stuff like that. But that's hardcore to go out on your own. And what do you, how, what do you use to carry? Like, how do you carry food and water? And a backpack. Yeah, but like, are you? Is this um an expedition like a walk? Or are you running or just um, running? You are running. Is yeah. it? Uh, it does it flop around your back? Like you get packs that fit really well that you can carry enough food, say for a day. Yeah, definitely. Gonna... Pack that fits really well, and that it forces you to go really light. And that's right. the cool thing that between this sport and bike packing, um, have both taught me to get better and better. And especially when I go to a bike packing race and see how other people are doing it, it it, it keeps me getting way better. Uh, lightening that load and getting really, really good at having so because I just can't run with a big backpack. It just of can't. Course not. Yeah, it hurts. Um, so you know, I know that for my strength level, it has to be under ten kilograms, ideally under eight kilograms. Um, and yeah, you have to have it on. It has to fit you really well. It has to be really tight because yeah, there's something that can be comfortable hiking, but then as soon as you start bouncing up and down running. Yeah, you've got nothing but bruises all over your body. Yeah, getting like, beat it's, up. It's miserable. It has to. It, yeah, it must have to just like. Well, what kind of pack are you are you going to use? You uh, I have this. Yeah, I do. Um, I actually ran across the Southern Alps, New Zealand, with this pack, and I'm just going to use the exact same one. It's a Montane Trailblazer. It's 30 liters. Um, fits fits me like a charm. I just got on with it really well, so I'm like, don't break it. The system's not not broken, so keep on. Oh yeah, for sure. Keep on using the one that works. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. Well, we'll have to chat after that for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I want to make this podcast kind of not not just about bike packing, but just endurance All sports right. in general. Like, just that, awesome. I'm so inspired by by people who can like th- a thousand miles, a thousand miles or kilometers. Kilometers. Okay. Yeah. It was oh well, crazy. then that's not kilometers. that. Yeah, it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's crazy. <clears throat> so, uh, so, yeah. so the, the Atlas Mountain Race. Um, yeah. How many, how many bike packing events had you kind of gone in before you you tackled that one? You're pretty experienced, obviously. Uh, I think it would have been my fifth race. Yeah. So yeah. super experienced. What was the vibe there at the start? Uh, you know, it was really cool because I think a lot of a lot of us knew each other, which is um, something that's cool about bike packing races becoming so popular in the last few years and there being a lot more on um, just meant that a lot of us did know each other from past races. So it was kind of like getting the weird family together kind of <laughs> vibe for a bit, which was, which was really lovely. Um, obviously being an inaugural event meant we were also all sitting there going, what on earth is about to happen? Some people saying, Oh, it's probably going to take three days. And some people going, I don't think I can finish before the cutoff. Cause none of us know what's ahead of us no one none of us had any idea how much hiking it really was going to be or what were really going to be the challenges so there's that that really cool like what is going to happen to us um but yeah it was a really it was a really positive vibe I'm normally really intimidated in those environments um especially because I don't consider myself much of a cyclist and I have really low self-esteem when it comes to cycling (laughs) um so I was I was quite intimidated and I, and, you know, you just look all around you and see everyone's kit and everyone um, talking about their bikes and their tire choice and their gear ratio and whatever. And you're just sitting, Oh God, have I made all the wrong choices? Cause I don't have what this guy has. And he sounds really confident. 
um, and really second guess myself and see all these really strong writers that have done mega things. Um, so I, yeah, I tend to be really bad at that first day, just feeling really intimidated. But then once we start writing um, and you settle into your pace and start t- chatting to the guy next to you, you kind of relax a little bit and just realize like, you know, we're all just going for a really dumb bike ride. It's going <laughs> to be fine. <laughs> I think you almost have to tune that stuff out. Like I've heard of people who go to the tour divide and, and don't stay at the hostel because I don't want to, I don't want to hear people talking about it. I don't want to, they just, yeah, yeah, yeah. because you start second guessing your kit and your gear and it's, yeah, you almost have to put blinders up to that, I guess. Yeah. I kind of, I do have to do that. Um, and I was kind of torn because I was, I was mostly there because I did want to ride with these 180 people. You know, the thing that I've always had come out of these bikepacking races has just been meeting the other people who do weird stuff that I do has just been so positive for me. Um, you know, if I, I love traveling and I'm good with solo adventure. So if I just wanted to ride my bike around the Atlas mountains, I would happily go do that by myself. I signed up for this race cause there were 180 cool people doing it. So I was really torn and, the first few days, the couple days before it started that I thought, you know, I really want to socialize these people. I'm sure they're lovely. But if one of them asks me what gear ratio I've got, I'm just going to get up and leave. <laughs> I'm just going to walk away without an answer. And that's just how I'm going to deal with it. Yeah, it's it's interesting uh, connection, right? That's, that's a big, um, that's one of my most... Um, that's that's a big word for me. Like when I started doing the podcast thing with with the bike pack, pack Canada thing, it was just the connection of the people. It's like yeah. it's. I think it is such such a. It's still fairly it's a fairly niche sport. I think it's growing like crazy, oh, yeah. but still very niche. Yeah, yeah. And so when you meet other bike packers, it's from from all these walks of life, from from you know the weekend warriors to the super elite. Everyone's experience is kind of similar. It's like they're all out there for the same reason. So yeah. yeah, you show up to Morocco, we go for this big group ride. What's the big deal? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So how was your uh how was your start? How was the first day? Was it uh did it start sinking in as soon as you started riding? How how difficult it was gonna be? Uh opposite, actually. I think I was mm. I was so terrified. You know, I, I always the night before a race, I'm always just in there going, What have I done? Why am I here? Like, look at all these athletes around me. I don't belong here with them. And so I have this little mini self-esteem crisis and then I get to the start line and I'm still looking at them all going, Oh God. And so I started pretty close to the back, just let everyone else ride out ahead of me. Cause I thought, you know, I'm going to be in 180th place basically. Um, but then I started riding, of course it starts with a road ride. So, you know, I just kind of dropped into my arrow bars and I started picking my way up. And, um, yeah, the first day I actually, I did really well, you awesome. know, I got over the first mountain pass and thought, oh, that's good. Like I got over in good time and things are going well and I feel amazing. And then I got to the top of the second mountain pass. Um, My only goal was to get to the first checkpoint before dark. And, you know, I had a couple hours to spare. And so when I got to that checkpoint, I was like, oh, that's right. I can do this. I'm Mm going to be fine. I just need to keep doing whatever it is that I'm doing right now, which is just riding my bike and not overdoing it, not underdoing it. and just um just keep moving my bike forward so actually the first day went went really well and I was really pleased and that kind of um reframed me a bit and settled me in for the rest of the race to come was just to you know give myself a bit of confidence and say to myself like stop doing this low self-esteem thing just you know what you're doing keep doing it do you meditate 
Uh, I don't. I've tried. I tried a lot doing it, you know, the traditional way, and never got on with it. But actually, because I do so much solo endurance sport, yeah. I do find that quite meditative. So you do get a lot of time alone, where you know maybe you actually just slip into meditation. You don't yeah. consciously say, "I'm going to spend the next ten minutes meditating." The but kind actually, of the flow state. I thing, get right? that. Yeah, I get what I need from from doing endurance sport. I think the reason I asked is because you know we've been talking for forty minutes. And and you've you've indicated self esteem issues a number of times, even as a as a uh-huh. an adult, right? And yeah. <clears throat> what's interesting about that is is it's all the stories we tell ourselves. It's it's that little mm. uh, it's that little voice in your head. I don't know if it's the ego or it's just telling you you can't. What are you doing? You're not Jenny Tough. You're an athlete, right? You know that. <laughs> like you need to know that. And then, then the stuff that you're you're doing, the accomplishments that you're 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 tackling are are incredible and it's funny that maybe maybe a side of it too is just like you don't want it you don't want to be vain about it right you don't want to tell yourself that you know the opposite i'm amazing and i'm awesome but what's funny Mm -hmm. is is that yeah we are telling ourselves these stories that we can't do stuff and we just have to tell that voice to shut the fuck up and just yeah you know it's so hard and that's why i asked if you meditated because i started meditating a little bit and when mm-hmm. you become, when you start becoming a bit more mindful, you, you, you can actually observe those thoughts coming up. You watch them come up and then you can look at them. And then as soon as yeah. you, as soon as you pay attention to that thought that you're not good enough or what are you doing? You're not athletic enough. It dissolves. It's really interesting. That is really interesting, actually. You know, on the race, I hope the guys don't mind me sharing this, but I know that none of the guys I was racing against are sexist and none of them meant us in a sexist way. But the loveliest thing about being one of the very few, I mean, there were so few women on this race. Um, the lovely thing that came out of it was every time that I was riding with any of the guys that they caught up to me or I caught up to them was they would almost always say something along the lines of, wow, you're so strong. And I knew they weren't saying that to the other boys. So I knew like the first few times that it happened, I was like, you know, there's something sexist about that. But then after a while I thought, you know what? They were just trying to pay me a compliment, and maybe it came from the wrong place, but it was a nice thing to say. And every time that someone said to me, wow, you're so strong, I did feel strong for a little bit. It's mm-hmm. a really nice thing to say to someone. Um, so then I started trying to do it back to them every time that the boys overtook me, because that's basically how my days went, was they were always overtaking me, and then I just slept less. So I would always say, like, wow, you're really fast, or you're doing really well, and I would try to pay them a compliment. Um, and I thought about that at the finish line, and I thought, you know, I'm really good at telling other people that you're great, that you've got this, like keep going, you're smashing it. But I'd never say that to myself. When other people say it to me, it does a lot for me. So I did I did have a long think about I need to get better at being able to say to myself, you're really strong. Look at you get up this mountain. Um but you know, I'm thirty one years old and I still haven't mastered that one. Yeah, it's interesting. I had a chat with Janie Hayes um last ah. year. Yeah, yeah. Check that one out too. That's on Bike Back Canada as well. well. I'd like to get her back on. It was it was awesome. Awesome For chat. Sure. And we talked about women's issues in sports and, and a lot of stuff mm-hmm. near the end. But she she had the same experience. Uh, we both did the BC Epic on the same year. Cool. And uh she said that she would um <clears throat> you know she's she's accomplished, right? She's very uh-huh. athletic yeah. and and strong mind, tough, you know, mentally strong person. And uh, mm-hmm. she, she said, you know, I'd roll up and I'd pass someone and, and a couple of times um, the guy would say, oh, I've just been chicked. <gasps> yeah. And that's, that was oh. my reaction. My reaction was like, <laughs> no. no, did they say that like to your uh. face out loud? And I couldn't believe it. Yeah. But then when I kind of, 
you know what you just said, I flipped it around as a guy. One, I would never say that. I would never say that because no. I, I know that there's women like I'm just whatever. I'm 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 a non contender. If a woman passed me, I'd be like, Hey, nice, how's your ride? Like whatever. Yeah. But <laughs> hey, um, buddy. yeah, hey buddy, exactly. <clears throat> but um I kind of started thinking like looking at that through a man's lens and I and I said to Janie, it's like, you know, I don't know if that the intention was really there to be an asshole you know i don't think they were mm-hmm, trying to be yeah. a, to be an asshole in that way but then she kind of turned it around too she goes no i, I don't think so either but it does in, it did show a little bit of shame right like yeah. the, the guy felt a little bit of shame that he was getting passed by a woman and it's like especially in endurance sports your biology yeah. i don't think has a lot in play i don't think there's a lot really there's going to be women who are going to Leo wilcox is a perfect example if yeah. if the tour divide last year was was like, you know, clear skies, you know, no weather problems kind of thing. She mm-hmm. might have taken that thing, man. Like she, Totally. Yeah, she's a she's a beast, right? And and yeah. I, I think she opened a lot of people's eyes as to kind of what she's actually capable of and this summer will will uh, probably pan out to be pretty crazy. But yeah. yeah, it's interesting that that there's that experience. And that that's a that's a bit better. That's a bit more kind than to say, "Hey, you're doing great," you know, just, you know, a bit of encouragement. Um, and yeah, you, you might yeah, do the same thing if you if you passed a guy, you might have said, "Hey, how you feeling? Oh, well, you're doing great. Just keep moving forward. You know, you just everyone's there just to encourage each other, right?" But yeah, um, and I think they settle in once they get to know you. Like if you're on a longer race, like like the Atlas, you know, we had a week to do it. Um, I think after a few days, the guys get to know you as a person, and so that whole you're like, I knew I was a leading woman, so I knew that every time I overtook a guy, of course, it's crossed through his mind that he's he's just been checked i know that they're thinking that <laughs> let's, let's not spread that, that let's not spread that term <laughs> yeah yeah let's not yeah exactly um yeah i know that he can't turn that off you know they are competitive riders um so i know that that is going on but after once i got to know me as a person i think that whole she's the female or she's a representation of me being checked i think that did fall away and we just all had a had a nice time together uh, it was a bit more complicated being north africa that um you're traveling in a culture where where gender is a, is a really big issue mm-hmm. and that was a big issue for the women on the race um so they were they were they got a little bit more alert to me after that just for a, a completely different reason which was um that of my safety that they knew that me being around them was better for me when we went through the villages and stuff like that um but yeah I don't think any of them were intentionally sexist about it. Um, but it is kind of funny to have to watch them go through that. And I've, I've, I never get to see this part, but I've had photographers and, you know, people watching the race tell me that when I show up, the pace does pick up a little bit. Like all the guys are sitting around at the cafe <laughs> with their shoes off complaining. Oh or shit, here's Jenny. As as yeah, exactly. So I just assume every time I see the guys, I just think they're all really fast. That's just my perception of them. Like, man, these guys like really sprint up the hills and then, the media car will tell me like, nope, that was only because they saw you. <laughs> I, I laugh because I, I can relate to that. I mean, as a man, I, I can I can just relate to that. I, I don't think it would it would light a fire under my ass as much as, as others, I yeah. don't think. But it's interesting. I mean, yeah, that we could have a whole other podcast about that. Just talking oh, totally. about men, women, sports issues and stuff and transgender and man, there's so yeah. many, there's so many layers to that onion. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was talking to RJ, and, and he had commented a little bit on the on the uh, the the safety concerns of the women coming mm-hmm. into villages, and and uh, yeah, we did talk about that a little. It's you know the culture is so different. 
And, yeah, uh, I think those guys weren't really aware of, of what we were going to have to be up against because you wouldn't notice. If you're a man in Morocco, you just wouldn't notice. And um, we were at, there was one big resupply, so a lot of us had, had to stop at it. it. You know, you didn't have a choice. The next section was going to be long. Um, and we were there at, around dinner time, so a lot of us were sat at this cafe. And um, and I just asked the cafe owner if there was somewhere I could wash my hands. And the next thing I know, I've been, like, taken into the back room of the kitchen, and he's mm. telling me I'm beautiful. Like, it was just, oh, it was it was fine. Like I've been to North Africa before. I knew it was, I knew what to expect. So I was good at really just letting that roll off my back really quickly. But I came out and just kind of sat down with the guys and, and told them what happened. And, and I was kind of like laughed it off, but their faces just dropped. They were all horrified. Um, and then I kind of said to them, like, you know, I'm really glad that you guys are here, that you all stopped because of course I wouldn't be able to eat in the cafe if you weren't here. Cause cafes are only for men. Oh, um, so, so I, I would be very hungry if you weren't here. And then, and they just looked, they didn't know. And I said, well, look around you, look at all the clientele in this cafe. Hmm. And they all turned their heads and looked around and realized, of course, there isn't a single woman in here aside from me. Um, and then they all slowly, like you could just see the pennies drop being of these guys realizing that in the ride so far, they'd never really seen women in public places. Um, and they realized that I need them around for me to be able to engage in this culture, that if I'm not with them, things are completely different. Um, and they were all, like, the women on the race, we've all talked about it, that the guys that we race with and against, it was really incredible how much they put competition to the side in every moment we were in the villages. They were all there for us. They all... They wouldn't say it out loud, but you could tell that they kind of had their eye on you, that they would they would feel comfortable riding quite close to you in this moment because, like, you know, people are gawking or maybe even throwing rocks or whatever it is. Like, the guys really were there for us, and that was a really nice thing to have on the race because we couldn't have – we just couldn't have had what we had without without the guys being there for us, which is a real shame, but that's, that's how it was. Yeah, obviously you're a seasoned traveler, so I'm sure you're no stranger to, to that kind of um... – yeah, that kind of thing. But um, <clears throat> yeah, it's super unfortunate. And then, you know, my, my thought too, is like, not only are, are you a woman, but, and by no stretch of the imagination, are you scantily clad? But, but in yeah. that country, you're kind of scantily clad, right? Like, you know, you're kind of yeah. wearing a tight jersey, and you've got your, your lycra on and, and, you know, it's, it's hard. So I didn't, yeah, I didn't go lycra. And like, I went for the baggies and the long sleeves right. and stuff. Um, But then, and that, that's not just us. I mean, the boys that were in, like I would arrive at the cafe being kind of like worried, how am I going to be perceived? Cause like every time I came into a village, there was this anxiety just mm. kind of arrived. Cause I thought, you know, now I need to, I need to be really switched on right now, no matter how hard I've been riding or how I feel, I need to have my wits about me as soon as I get into the village. Um, and I would get there and then the boys would just be there and they're in their lycra and their legs out. And I'm like, Oh God, like, <laughs> It's just not a culture for that. I think it's kind of okay if you're riding your bike, if you're currently in the midst of doing an athletic thing. But as soon as you hang out in a cafe, you know, no one has their knees out, boys or women. Like, right. Do you so think? Yeah, it is. There's a lot going on there. You, you look completely different. No matter how you dress, you do look completely mm. different from any woman that's come into this village. So you're already going to draw attention. Um, and then you're on a bicycle. That's quite strange. Um, you're in this group, like there's just, there's a lot going on that you can't really blame the villages for giving you a lot of extra attention. Of course, of course there's a lot for them to look at. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 there's so many layers, like you said. Yeah. That's a, it's an interesting, uh, challenge that like when you say, when you're telling the guys and the, you can see the pennies drop, it's like a, it's like a, an additional challenge for a woman athlete 
that that the man don't have to deal with, right? So it's it actually makes yeah. it it adds a layer of of endurance to the endurance sport. You know, you not only have to endure, you know, sexism and and uh, discrimination in some you know way or different attention, or you can't go in and buy food because you're a woman. It's man. Yeah, and it's something I've always thought of, like in some races where you see the guys like bivying right next to the road. And I always think it would never even cross my mind that it would be okay to bivy in plain sight. I've never in my life set up a bivy anywhere that anyone could see me. And the guys just go right on the side of the road. And was like, Whoa. Um, and so, and then of course you're surrounded by them. So it was kind of nice. Cause I always do solo challenges where I do have to think about that kind of stuff all the time. Um, but then suddenly you're riding in this big pack of other cyclists, men or women, it doesn't matter. Like there's so many of them around that nice. suddenly you get this, um, real comfort level of we've got each other, um, which is, you know, it's lovely to get to experience countries in that way and get to experience endurance challenges uh, with that way with a group. But yeah, it is, you have those small things that you think we are actually different. Whereas on the grand scale, I'd love to think that in endurance sport, we're not, you know, that's what has been really proven with some women smashing huge records and races that men and women do even out and ages even out you know it's really cool that such different people can compete in the same mm-hmm. for the exact same podium you know we don't do gender podium we don't do age group podium we just do one that's really cool yeah um there are just these these little small differences in some parts of the world yeah i think that's that's the part of the bike packing uh the, the bike pack endurance racing that's so interesting it's just like it's just a bunch of people and the first, yeah, the first exactly. person to get to the to the to the finish line, you know, it doesn't. I mean, they do. Obviously, they still kind of distinguish between top women, the top woman, top man. <clears throat> but overall, yeah, you, and I always want to know who's the oldest and who's the youngest because I think they're just really cool. But yeah, exactly. Overall, we're just competing for one title. Yeah, no, that's great. So, um, mm. how did how did it go then? Yeah, how how long were you out there for? I can't, I read it. I can't oh, remember. Oh, I was out there for six days. Six days. <laughs> it's a lot longer than I wanted it to be. Yeah. And uh, obviously there, I had heard there's a, there's a lot of hike a bike on that. Yeah. And I rock a hike a bike. Yeah. I mean, as being a runner and not a cyclist, I'm stoked when we get off our bikes. I'm like, I've got this. Yeah. <laughs> this <bit. laughs> they are time consuming and they can be frustrating. Um, but um, yeah, it was, it was a challenging route. I think. The thing that was really underestimated was that the descents were going to be equally hard. You know, you get to the top and you think, sweet, now I get a rest. And then you uh-huh. go, oh, no, not really, because this is a Nelson race. You don't get a rest. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was six days. Um, I think I, I did stay pretty consistent through it. Um, like I said, I had that really good first day, and I was quite happy with that and just thought I need to just lock into that pace and, and keep it going. And I did, and, and that was, yeah, I mean – it's a really boring story, but yeah, things just lined up the way that I wanted them to. My body did what I wanted it to. My kit was perfect. So I was always comfortable. Um, yeah, it just, just kind of kept going. And then day three, I got my period and I wasn't meant to. And that ended up being kind of the only thing that did go wrong. And that was, that was a bit of a catastrophe at the time because uh. Morocco is just not, not a country for that. Um, you know, and the race course, it's not like it had private toilets on it or anything like that, or even like a bush to hide behind. So it was a bit, that became a bit of a challenge. And that obviously threw me off physically as well. Cause then, you know, you've got the cramps and feeling a bit awful to add on top of everything. Um, 
But I mean, that was the only thing that really went wrong. Everything else, um, it was kind of like a proof to myself. Like we talked about self-confidence a lot on this. Um, that was kind of my like proving to myself, like, you know, I have, I am experienced now, you know, I'm not who I was even just three years ago when mm. I started, when I got my very first set of Lycra and started like proper cycling, you know, I've, I've come a long way and I've, I've learned how to do stuff and I just need to, to have a bit more faith in myself. Um, so yeah, it was, it was insanely hard, obviously, but I was, you know, I'd been to Morocco before, so I knew how hard it was going to be out there. Um, I've done a Nelson Trees race before, so I knew that it was going to be brutal. So there was a lot of like things are just going the way that I expected them to go awesome. overall. Awesome. Well, thanks. Yeah. For, thanks for sharing that. You know, that's another layer that men don't have to deal with, right? Is menstruation. It's, yeah. It's like, we don't have to deal with that. And, and I'm sure when you're planning um, a journey, you're looking at that, you're looking at the calendar and you're like, okay, so I need to be, you know, ready for that to happen, yeah. you know, on day five or whatever. Yeah. And oh, I, I wasn't, that was, it was something I didn't expect. And then spoke to some of the women about it at the finish line. And, and one of the women said to me that that's actually something that once you, when you stress your body out so much, mm. it's something that could just happen. I didn't know that. So now I know. And my first aid kits will be updated, but uh, yeah, it was no funny doubt. because the woman in second place, Quinda, she, she posted on her Instagram that she had just got her period that she was feeling quite rough. Um, and I remember it was when I was at the cafe with all the guys and, and they looked at it and one of them said, it was like she had died the way that they responded. They're like, Oh God, did you hear what happened to Quinda? Like, what a shame. And I was, and I knew that actually there's, there's a lot of science to say that actually you should race on your period. That makes you stronger. It makes your body act more like a man's and, um, yeah. Like yeah, a, so there's a hormonal there's a shift of, or something. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So because of the hormones actually you should race, you perform really well in your period. I think that only counts for short races, not something that, you know, like if you're going out for a few hours to race, I think that works really well. But if you have to survive in the Atlas mountains where again, there's no running water or toilets you can pop to, mm. then I think it actually becomes a bit of a disadvantage, but it was, yeah. it was funny because this happened and the guy said that. And I like genuinely in my mind, I thought, Oh God, Quinn is about to overtake me. Like, she's about to have a speed burst. I'm going to, I'm going to lose my first position. <laughs> and the irony being that then just a few hours later, I got mine. Um, but I didn't, because of the way boys reacted that they kept on saying like, Oh, poor Quinda. Um, I didn't tell them when I got mine, right. it wasn't like I was embarrassed and thought, you know, this is gonna, you know, as far as the gender divide goes, I'm just going to perpetuate it. If I tell them, I didn't, I knew that they wouldn't mind. But it was, I knew that if I said it out loud, that they would now start treating me the same way they were treating Quinda. It was like, oh, poor thing. It's all hard for you. Like, it was just the negativity that I was already feeling. You know, when you're racing against all men and you're looking at them thinking, they don't have to deal with this. That's not fair. You know, as soon as you start thinking with that mindset, then, then you've turned negative and things are going to go downhill for you because you've got a negative mindset. So... I didn't tell any of them. A lot of them pointed out to me that I'd slowed down and, and I just kind of said, Oh, you know, I'm just unfit or something like that. Like I just kind of agreed with them and I didn't give them my excuse just because I didn't want, I didn't want to be thinking about that. And I didn't want the guys to be, to be giving me any sort of like, Oh, poor thing. Um, and like feeling sorry for me and, and giving me permission to go down that negative mindset. If that right. makes sense. Yeah. It's funny after, you know, being um, married to a woman for 10 years and watching two of my children born in the, in the hospital room, women are fucking tough as nails. I'll tell you that. Like, <laughs> like to watch, to watch a woman, uh, 
birth your son or your daughter is crazy mm. and just the strength and the focus and the women are tough man yeah women are tough oh, yeah we knew that yeah i think a lot of men don't know that how tough they are and kind of the stuff they have to deal with like just like that do you have to change this yeah. is a stupid naive question because you Go know i it. don't have the same equipment do you have to change your um uh your nutrition during that time like um you know, you had said that uh, there was there was kind of a theory that women get stronger mm. during that time. But I, I was thinking that well, you're yeah, you're you know, you're 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 bleeding. Does it does it affect your blood chemistry in any way, like uh, iron richness you or? Do you, I can't remember what direction it goes in because I I'm the least educated woman on being a woman. But um, <laughs> there is oh, uh, there's one half of your cycle that you want more carbs, and I can't remember which one it is. There's um there's a really good book called it's by a woman called Dr. Stacey Sims and her tagline is always women are not small men and her book's all about how to train as a female athlete because um one thing that I didn't even know until recently is that all things that you've read like training programs nutrition programs um all studies that are done on sports are done on men because as a control group to do a study on men are perfect because their hormonal levels are the same every single day all year round whereas women fluctuate so there's different variables so if you want to conduct a study women are a nightmare you're going to study on men um so everything that we know about sport we actually only know about men's bodies um so so yeah she's got this really great book called roar and it's all about how like what things are different for us um and i should spend some more time studying it so that i'm better prepared um, but that's that's one I would recommend to any female listeners that want to start getting this stuff right. Cool. Well, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. That's 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 you know something to consider that maybe women, well, all women must consider when they're entering an event like this. But uh, yeah, you got to be ready for that, right? So mm-hmm. awesome. So um, highs and lows on that, or was it just I... like a nice constant like high? <laughs> yeah, there was. Of course, there was highs and lows, and. And um, I think one thing that comes from experience is being okay with riding those out um, instead of finding the lows to be a disaster or even on your high thinking, oh, God, I'm amazing. I'm shit hot. I'm going to ride 30 <laughs> kilometers an hour to the finish. Like, um, but just knowing that you're riding out a feeling right now that this roller coaster will keep on rolling until yeah. the end. Um, so, yeah, I had mini ones and mega ones. Um one thing that was really hard about this race was that obviously the being pretty close to the equator, um, the nights were long. Um, and I don't love night riding. I mean, I've got my head around night riding and I can, I can find a lot of enjoyment in it, but I am a lot slower, especially if you're on a technical trail Mm. and you've got a very small field of vision. That's just something that is going to slow you down. Um, unless you're a maniac and I just, I'm not. Um, so there was, the nights I did, I did find quite difficult that you have to work a little bit harder to stay in a positive way to keep the pedals turning, to keep at the pace that you're enjoying during the daylight. When you know you're cold, you can't see the views to appreciate anything around you. All you've got is your handlebars and the darkness around you. Um, I think actually the lowest I ever got, the only time that I came pretty close to losing my shit was in the last 10 kilometers. Um, <laughs> That I just, I look down, there's like this button on my Wahoo that will tell you how far you have to go. And I will never push that button. I never want to know what that number is. <laughs> don't look. Just but I, it. yeah, exactly. Just don't look. Just assume it's really far. So just keep going. 
Um, so I was getting close to the finish and I knew I was because I could tell, I could feel it in the air that I was close to the ocean. So I finally looked, I finally pushed that button and I was about 10 kilometers out. And so I took my phone off airplane mode and started getting really like, because I knew the woman who had now, was now in second place, Andrea, she got really close to me. So I'd been sprinting since for like six hours or something like that to try and get this win. And so I finally looked and said, oh God, 10 kilometers, sweet. I will be there with a beer in my hand in the next 30 minutes. <laughs> kind of let myself drop for the first time. I let myself go and then I turned the corner and I don't know if um, Sophie or RJ already mentioned this to you, but the last bit was like sand dune trails. It wasn't like a bit of sand. It was impossible sand. And um and suddenly I was off my bike and pushing my bike again. I was on a hiker bike. It's the last 10 kilometers. Can you believe it? I was just, and I got so frustrated because I was, I was really stressed that Andrea, I mean, I, I never went into it to win because I never thought I could win. But I held first place from CP1 onwards. And to wake up on my last morning and realize that actually someone was now coming up to take that away from me, that I was, uh-huh. was going to come in second. Like I finally admit to myself out loud that, you know, I did want this. You know, I'd worked for this. I'd put in a good race and I wanted to win. And now suddenly, and just in the last few hours, um, I was in threat of losing that. Um, and so I was just so stressed out. I kept on looking over my shoulder. That oh. Andrea was, I'd never met her before. I didn't know. Like maybe she was on a fat bike and she was just going to roll over the sandwich <laughs> yeah. or something. Like I didn't know what she was on. And, um, and I was so stressed because I just wanted it and I wanted to be there. I'd wanted to finish in under five days and I was now, I'd crossed the threshold into six and I was really upset about that. And so I just, it was the first time that I actually got really frustrated. First and only time on the race. It was just so close to the finish line. And of course the media car shows up because, you know, the the first woman's coming in. So of course the media car is going to be there. And and I just try to be really like friendly and chat to them. But like I was inside just like, I can't believe I'm pushing my bike right now. I don't, I want to ride. You know, you, you fantasize as soon as you sign up for a race, you fantasize about that finish line, about how strong and good you're going to feel pushing your bike, like riding really hard up into the finish, um, and see all your friends and get a beer and a hug and all that stuff. And then, and then I wasn't riding my bike. I was pushing it. I just, yeah. I, I mean, I really like Nelson as a person, but in that moment, man, did I not <laughs> like Nelson. Like I like even when I got to the finish. Yeah, exactly. Like even when I got to the finish and he was there and like I'd spent six days thinking about, you know, Nelson's done such a great job. I really must remember to tell him when I get to the finish line that I think he's a really good race director. And then I got there and I saw him and I was like, Don't punch him, don't punch him, don't punch him. The cameras are watching you. Like Oh, you know what? You are not you. Uh, yeah, it, that's what Sophie said as well. The same thing. He was just <laughs> like, man, I come around the corner and it's just like, ah, uh, it's just, it really, yeah, it was a low point yeah. for him as well, I think. You think you're there. Yeah. Because it was the victory lap he took away from us. Like, that was meant to be our moment. <laughs> he took it. I wonder if he was just the, uh, he was just like folding his hands together. It's like, I'll show these racers. They think they're at yeah. the end, but I'm going to give them a, you have to walk up a friggin' sand dune to get to the end. <laughs> yeah, that's what he does. There, there are no breaks. And I think that's the thing that you need to write on the back of your hand if you enter a Nelson Trees race, is to just remind yourself that there will be no breaks. There will be no rewards. Everything will be hard. The climbs will be hard. The descents will be hard. All of it. Just 
settle into that mindset and you'll be okay on a Nelson Trees race. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that that would be that would be pretty boot. So, but you you were able to ride like the last 5k or something, right? Or you know, uh, walking to the I don't finish, know if it's as long as 5k, I think it was 3k. <laughs> oh, but man. yeah, yeah, I did at least like yeah, when you get to the finish line and all the guys are there when I keep on saying beer. But yeah, they were all there with their <laughs> yeah. beers. Uh, I at least was able to ride in there and like make it look like I had cycled the Atlas Mountain race. I think you all should. Yeah, you should be. You should feel lucky that there was beer. You know, in a in a country know, like yeah. that, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. Mor- is, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say I was in Morocco for I don't know, like six or six weeks or so, a number of years ago, and yeah, we didn't drink Whoa. anything at all yeah no i would i would go teetotal in in a place like that especially as a woman um but then you know we got to finish in this compound where it was just people in the race so you get to totally relax and just hang out with the other riders and it was uh it was a really nice way to finish and just yeah have that back slapping and and chat to everyone about what's happened because i i do race with my phone on airplane mode so i only knew the guys in my vicinity so i only knew the people that I had cycled next to, I knew everything that happened to them, but then there's like a hundred other people that I hadn't seen for the last week. And I, I didn't know who had scratched or who had won. I didn't know anything. Um, so you get there and you just get a beer and you're just like, right, tell me everything that's happened. What have I missed? What have you guys been up to? That's awesome. That's a good intention to go into that race with is, is, you know, just unplugging. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Have do a you, little detox while you're out there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do you, um, do you listen to books or, or music when you're out there? Yeah, I normally would get to podcasts as well, but I think because this one was actually, it was actually really social, which was lovely. I mean, that many, that many riders over a fixed route, of course, you're, you're kind of bumping into people all the time. So the only podcast I ever tried to listen to, I didn't even hear like someone, either someone showed up and I started chatting to them or it was the middle of the night. So I wasn't actually listening, but yeah, I'll have music on most of the time. Um, I think there were kind of hours that I don't like music. Like mm. during sunrise, I definitely unplug and just there's that hour of just like really lovely light that I'll just, I'll, I mean, those will be like my fastest clicks of the day as it is. Like, cause I'll just be so stoked when the sun's coming up. You're so grateful to see the sun. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Um, so I, I don't need any tunes to get me through that. Um, and then I think mid afternoon, I would also unplug because I usually would end up riding with someone. Um, or there would be people enough in my vicinity. So, yeah, but quite quite often I'll have some sort of tunes in, even just as a distraction, so I don't have to hear how heavy my breathing is or something like that. <laughs> so you don't want to hear your suffering. You want to hear your own suffering. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you came up to me and said, hey, what are you listening to? I'd be like, oh, I don't know, because I'm not even paying any attention right. to it. I just kind of need that some kind of beat in the background, I think. Yeah. Did you go in with some sort of strategy, like um, number of hours you're going to ride per day or when you're going to sleep? Did you, do you have a strategy like that? Uh, just that I'd like to keep on a consistent sleep schedule. When I did the Silk Road, I mean, the Silk Road is obviously a lot longer. So you do, you, like the survival aspect of it is is a lot more serious that you'll, you'll suffer if you don't take care of yourself. Um, and one thing that I found worked for me, like a charm on the Silk Road, probably the only thing I did really right was that I always slept between one and four. Um, so I was really strict on my bedtime. Even if I was doing really well, I'd say like, no, it's time to start looking for a busy spot. Um, and so I did the same on this, but I would go to, because it was a short race, um, I would get into my bivy and I would say I'm either getting two or three hours of sleep. And then every night just decide whether or not it's two or if I really need three. Um, but 
that was probably the only thing that I really did was I made sure that my sleep schedule made sense. So I didn't have to start stop and sleep during the middle of the day or something like that. Um, and doing all nighters, I mean, good for Sofiane, but good grief. I can't do that. Um, <laughs> and also keeping your lights tidy, you know, like doing an all nighter versus like going all day. You should definitely go all day, but the nighttime is a good use of your time to stop and rest because then you're not wasting battery on your lights. Mm. There's nowhere open for you to get food and water. So you're, you'll waste your resupplies if you go through them at that hour and stuff like that. So yeah, I was good on my sleep schedule and then just, um, the only research I did was knowing where the resupplies were, because obviously with no above ground water in mm. in the anti atlas, you had you had to be really smart on it. You couldn't run out of water or you'd be in serious trouble. So I only knew that, but I didn't know the route. I didn't know when the big climbs were coming. Like I don't have cues on my computer, so I didn't even know. It's actually RJ. Every time I was riding with him, he'd be like, "Oh, we're about to go up from ten percent grades, and it's going to take us through." And I'm like, "RJ, stop!" <laughs> <laughs> I don't know these things and I don't need to know these things. So just, it'll come as it comes. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I thought about, I've only done a couple of races and I'm kind of the same program. I like to ride. I don't mind riding through the night. I'm pretty good at, at mm-hmm. night. But yeah, just a couple hours sleep. I have, I have such a hard time sleeping anyway because I find that you just, you get all ramped up. Like you're just kind of revved up and and even, oh, totally, even when yeah. you're tired, your mind is just like, oh, just your mind's going crazy and you're always calculating like, you know, okay, when I'm going to get there, where am I going to sleep? you know, how long I'm going to sleep, Yeah, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, I always have cue sheets for distance, but I've kind of debated whether I should, I should kind of record or, um, annotate kind of when the bottom and tops of climbs are. Cause, cause maybe I don't want to know. Cause if it's like, oh yeah, the yeah. climb starts here and it's going to be 20 K and it's going to be 5,000 feet. And it's just like, oh my God, like it could be actually kind of work negatively in a way it's it's like oh, i'm just gonna sleep here i'm not even gonna do that i'm gonna wait till morning to yeah do that. i think if you want to be smart about it you do actually want to know those things and i'm sure a lot of the top riders would all say that you have to know but for me i don't want to know any of the numbers like i still don't know how much my bike weighed because i don't want that to be circling my mind when i'm going up a hill or when i have to lift it up for another hike a bike i don't want to know what that number is because it'll just annoy me <laughs> yeah um like i said I, I don't like to push the button that tells me how far i have to go i don't want any of these things circling in my mind like most of the time i wouldn't know whether it was day four or day eight like i had no idea i don't want the numbers anywhere near me i just take it as the experience yeah that's kind of the way you travel anyway really right like whenever yeah, you're traveling yeah, you're totally. not really you don't really care it's like well i just have to get to to Agadir and I'm just going to ride my bike there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, so what's next for Jenny Tuff? Uh, next. Um, so I'm going to run across the Caucasus mountains in June. June. Uh, yeah, that's actually all I'm focused on at the moment. That's a big enough one that I'm just focused on that at the moment. So I haven't really been running over the last couple of months because I've been um, trying to ride my bike more often. So gonna switch these bike legs to running legs and try to get ready for that hey, i have a question um mm-hmm. well one like how do you what's your recovery like do you just kind of just chill out put your feet up yeah um you ask at an interesting time because i'm still in recovery from the atlas yeah. which I'm, I'm starting to get really frustrated with it it's not it's not something i'm very good at um because you know like i was saying that you need to you get this habit that you need to move every day so i'm not very good at not moving so when i got back from morocco i went straight to the gym and it was a bad day out i could not pick up anything and i was just really tired um so it's something that i i know i'm not very good at because mentally i need to move 
And that's why I think there's two parts to recovery. There's the physical one, and that's maybe the one that you can plan out quite sophisticated and say to yourself, you know, I'm going to do low impact stuff, or I'm just going to go for hikes or whatever it is. Um, but then there's the mental side of recovery. And I think that's, that's a really interesting one that I used to get wrong. Um, and that's one that I, I put a lot of effort into making sure that I get right. Cause it can really backfire. Like, you know, you've, you've just come from being outside all day, every day, moving, adventuring, sleeping in new places, talking to new people. You've had so much excitement. And then when you fly home after that, um, it can always lead to a dip because, mm-hmm. you know, then you're back within four walls, you're back to work. Um, most of us had to go back to winter after being in Morocco, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you've got to be prepared for that dip. So I think one of the most important things that I've found is that I have to have a new adventure ready. I need to know what's next. Cause if I do something mega and there's nothing next, then there's almost a void in your life. You know, so much of your life is revolved around this big goal that you've had. And as soon as you tick off that goal, there could just be an empty spot there. Uh, unless you find what's happening next. So that's really important to me is that I get home and I've got this big expedition coming up to plan for, but also I might go camping the very next weekend in the Highlands or something like that, just to make sure that I am still getting outside. I'm still getting my fix and I don't feel like, oh, it's over. What on earth is there to do now kind of thing? Yeah, that's valuable. That's that's really good advice is is just to have another project. You know, like yeah, and and also, and that's going to help you in the ride itself. Is that this isn't everything to you? You know, if it's the only thing that you're doing this year, then then you will have this kind of all or nothing approach. Like this means everything to me, and if it doesn't go well, you you might really have a breakdown. You might find it really difficult if things aren't going your way. Um, but if you can go into with the attitude of saying like this doesn't define me, this doesn't define everything that I'm doing this year. I've got other stuff going for me then you're going to find it a lot easier to stay calm and to stay positive and just, you know, take the trail as it comes, so to speak. Yeah. And I think that, that even you can take that into this, into the direction of like um, just mindset going into some of these events, because you can't, you want to finish it, but you don't know if you're going to finish it kind of thing. Like you you go in with, with, with reasonable, realistic expectations that you, what you're undertaking is massive, is mega, and it's going to be hard as fuck. And it's like, maybe it's, yeah. maybe I won't finish it. Right. Like maybe, you know, you just have to take it as it yeah, comes. Yeah, not everyone does. And you, you know that you yeah. might be one of those people. You might yeah. break something on your bicycle that's completely out of your hands. You don't know. Yeah. And you want to, you want to set that expectation and, and make that, make that another uh, fork in that road where, okay, well, how am I going to feel mm-hmm. if I don't, if I don't succeed? And, uh, you know, so having another project it's probably really handy because then it'll give you something to focus on like, okay, well, this is what happened this time and to not happen next mm-hmm. time I got a X, Y, Z and you know, it's, yeah, that's really important. Yeah. I think I always have a hard time coming back to same thing. Cause it's like out in the woods for, yeah. for a week. And then I come back right into, into family life. Right. And you know, you're, yeah. you know, I'm not experienced and I'm not like elite athlete by any stretch. And you know, so recovery for me takes a long time because I just leave it all out there. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then the kids want you to do yeah. stuff. It's like, let's play a monster game. I'm like, oh, dude, I can't. I can't even get up. But I need a nap. <laughs> yeah, I need Another a nap. nap. <laughs> what for? Something else I wanted to ask you too is, uh, is have you ever suffered from edema, like swollen legs? Yes. Well, how do you uh, deal with that? Is it just compression? I don't. So I had it. I was on a ride. I was on a heat wave 
And the women got it more. And again, the book that I recommended does explain something about why we're bad at heat regulation, but I can't remember. Um, but yeah, I just got super swollen everywhere. And I remember I was sitting in, the, I was in a gas station. It was like 35 degrees out. And it was an American woman I was sat next to, and both of us having such northern bodies, not used to riding that kind of heat. We were both super swollen everywhere. And we were just sitting on the floor of a gas station, eating our ice cream, feeling and looking <laughs> miserable. And we said, I remember saying to each other, like, I started cycling so that I could be fit and healthy. But genuinely, if I bumped into an ex right now, they would think I just put on 20 pounds. Yeah. That's all it looks like. Like, yeah. it just, like, it doesn't look like a medical condition. I just look chubby. Like, this is horrible. I feel bad. Um, yeah, so I, all I do know about it is to keep drinking electrolytes and supposedly eat some protein which can be really difficult on these rides the stuff that's available to us just tends to be like beige food and packaged food right um so that's what i've read and heard um i'm definitely not an expert on it um i think it's absolutely horrific when it happens and you see yourself like spilling over your socks if you look down <laughs> at your legs and you're like what is that well see and it's not just it's not just a female thing like i, I did a quick race in no, uh, yeah. in the summer i did the lost elephant in the in the, the rocky mountain gulch here it's like 500k and you know thirty thousand feet of climbing really punchy punchy right. climbing and i and I made the mistake of finishing the race at like, I think I finished at like midnight and I went home yeah. and I, sh I had a bath just like soaked in a hot tub. And then uh, I went to work the next day, which was a mistake. And I remember standing oh. there talking to someone and, and they're looking down at like they were staring at my legs. I'm like, what are you looking at? He goes, your legs are fucking huge, dude. And I'm like, oh, no. yeah, yeah. They're massive, right? like massive. Like they should. Yeah. yeah there's. And I've got big legs anyway, because I'm pretty, like, okay. I'm, I'm kind of short and kind of, like, muscular. And uh -huh. so my, my calf is fucking huge. And you could see, like, the, the sock ridge, right? If you pull your socks oh, down, yeah. it's just this permanent <laughs> ridge. Yeah, yeah. And it just, like, it, it, it sucked. And it took a long time to... Um, How long did it take? It took a few days for that to go away. And um, I, don't, I don't know that I'm, like, I don't have that... Yeah, you know, I I've, I eat pretty clean, like whole foods, and mm -hmm. and uh, I try to drink a lot of water. Maybe I, maybe I wasn't hydrating enough, but um, yeah, I just wanted to ask. I'm gonna start asking more people because it's something I don't want to deal with. I don't think I had it on the other race I did, so I don't yeah, know if it I'd has to do with answer, heat or. Like, if you Google it, it does kind of fat shame you that it's like, well, you're obviously just, you know, like, I think I was at the finish line of a race and me and this other guy, we were both lying down with our feet in the air, trying yeah, to like yeah. drain our legs, and so we were Googling it. And everything that we found from, you know, like government health websites were things like this can happen to overweight people. And yeah. I'm just going, well, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you? How very dare you? <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Oh, it's so funny. Yeah. Anyway, I know that's, that's I don't know. That's, yeah, I don't know if any of I haven't if, got the good answer. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if uh, I've, I've heard anyone ask that before, but I, I reached out to a coach on the Adventure Audio podcast. I wanted to, to uh, uh, Jim Capra to address that. So. We'll see what he says. See what oh, happens. Wicked. Yeah. And yeah, um, let us know. Yeah. Well, I will. I'll do a whole podcast on edema. <laughs> yeah. So um, any advice you want to give to people who are thinking about trying one of these big events? My advice to everyone and the advice that I need to take, and that's why I'm saying it, is you're tougher than you think. And I know that I'm using, I'm abusing my last name there by saying that, but <laughs> you know what? It works. You are tougher than you think. You are going to get there and look up at those mountains and think, I can't get my ass over those mountains, but a few hours later, you'll be at the top 
and you'll be amazed and you'll keep going and just you know in all those moments of doubt that's the thing that you need to say to yourself just keep on saying I am tougher than I know I am and you're going to keep proving yourself right every challenge that you do you're going to prove that to yourself and you're going to look back and go wow I don't know how I got through that but like I did so I must be tougher than I than I let myself know that's good advice and and I I'd say that to people too I think the whole idea of like pushing your limits in these ways is uh, it proves that we're all tougher yeah, than we think yeah. we are. Yeah, you got in there. Yeah. Jenny, it was a pleasure talking to you. I'm so glad we connected. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it was a yeah. great chat. And uh and uh yeah, let's do it again. Like um we will. when you do your when you do your run in June, um if, yeah. if I don't hear from you, I'm gonna reach out and we'll have a chat about that, okay? Because um I'd really like to hear cool, that. I'll journey. call you from Georgia. Yeah, for sure. We can do the WhatsApp. This actually worked better than I, than I thought it would. I, I kind of like connecting with video because yeah. I, I, I seem there's a bit more connection with video, but but yeah, you're super easy to talk to. It was really fun today. So I, I thanks for thanks, for, for the time. Yeah, it was great to talk to you. Yeah, you let's say keep, hi to Jasper for us. I will. All right. Yeah. Let's keep in touch. Definitely. All thanks, right. Steve. Take care. Awesome. Have a good one. You too. Bye. I want to thank Jenny Tuff again for her time and thank all of you for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. You can find Jenny Tuff online. Her website is JennyTuff.com and on Instagram, her user ID is at Jenny Tuff. So go ahead and check her out. She's got lots of great pictures on there and lots of uh, adventure photos and information on her website. So go ahead and check that out. Again, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to reach out to me, you can do so. You can send me an email to myback40podcast at gmail.com. I like getting feedback, guest suggestions, and voice intros. I know some of you have been having trouble uh, getting the podcast. Um, someone reached out to me yesterday, and uh, I hooked them up, I think. And um, yeah, if anyone's having trouble still, uh, let me know. And uh, it kind of keeps me abreast of what kind of what's going on out there uh, on the internet. Uh, I know I'm seeing it in iTunes, and uh, you, you can get the podcast on Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. I also want to thank Cycling 101 and Rebound Cycle for supporting the podcast. I really appreciate that. And don't forget that discount code at Cycling 101 if you need a bike fit or a consultation. The coupon code is 101VIP20. Head on over to Cycling 101 and you can use that code to save 20% on that bike fit or consultation. So uh, head on over there. Give them some love, everybody. So I think that's all I got. I think I just want to say to just take care of each other out there. Um, you know, we're in a pandemic situation and we just need to stay clean, uh, stay uh, somewhat isolated, uh, protect your loved ones and your family and, uh, just be safe out there, everyone. Okay. Keep the rubber side down. <laughs>